night may be long and the dark may be deep, but the answers are there to be found. Whether it's the normal, the abnormal, or the paranormal, you're in the right place. Let's go beyond reality. Welcome to the show and welcome to a Monday. Great to have everybody here as the nation. Good parts of it anyway are dealing with the uh, severity of winter over the weekend. Uh, including us here, you know, but we're used to it, kind of, because winter is severe from start to finish. And when I say start, I mean the end of October. And when I say finish, I mean sometime in April. That's what winters in the Northeast, upstate New York, are like. And tonight we're going to be hit with like two feet of snow, they're saying. And that'll just go on the piles that are already out there because they're deep. Um, the sidewalk, you know, you're walking down the sidewalks and the, and the, the banks, snow banks are, you know, hip high already, so... And we're not Alaska. We're just upstate New York. But, man, you know, winter's tough. I keep looking south and thinking, wow, that's the thing to do. Um, But, you know, you have your roots someplace. It makes it a little difficult to do anything about that. Anyway, I hope you're all staying safe and warm. I know there are a lot of people in Texas that aren't able to stay warm. Texas uh, got hit particularly hard with this storm because of, you know, they're they're south, far enough south that uh, a lot of this turns to ice instead of just remaining snow. And uh, what it has done is very uh, scary, but it's very appropriate for the conversation we're about to have tonight. They are having significant power outages. And in many cases, it's because the wind turbines, this wind energy that they have uh, put into place that supplies about 25% of their total electricity in the state of Texas, those wind mills or whatever they're called have frozen up. They don't work in the cold weather. So when the heat or when the uh, the power, the electricity is most needed, those failed. And tonight we're going to be talking about climate change with Gregory Wrightstone. He's a returning guest. He says that, um, well, I'll, I'll let the title of his book speak for itself. It says Incon- the title of the book is Inconvenient Facts, the Science that Al Gore Does Not Want You to Know. And I would say that probably the updated version of that is going to be John Kerry, not Al Gore. But either way, he says that um, warming and cooling trends are not necessarily the result of the things that we're being told they are. And they're not necessarily controllable by our behavior. Uh, Regardless of whether you believe that or not, I'll leave it up to you to decide. The information is very, very valuable because what we're seeing right now, we're seeing things change with the new administration in Washington, D.C., they have made climate change a central part of all of their policy decision-making, whether it's uh, um, international relations or it's domestic policy. Climate change will be at the top of the list of concerns and issues that will guide them in making these decisions. And we've already seen some of that. You know, executive orders that have done things like canceled the Keystone Pipeline have... um, banned uh, oil and gas drilling on federal properties. And you go to the gas pump now, you're seeing the effects of that. And that, I, I, and as far as I'm concerned, I'm, I'm no economist, but I'm, my prediction here is that we've only seen the beginning of those price increases. I know that um, a couple months ago, a gallon of gas here was under $2.20 a gallon. Now it's almost 3 bucks on its way to 4 bucks, And it's also affecting those of us who use oil and or gas to heat our homes. The price of heating oil is through the roof. And, you know, that's not something you can skip on too much. You can only wear so many sweaters and carry around so many blankets in your house. So these are all having practical effects. 
So we'll talk about whether those effects are worth, are they a price that's worth paying for what? What are we trying to accomplish with it? That'll be the conversation tonight. And I'm anxious to have it because, again, regardless of which side of this debate you fall on, you probably don't have all the information. And it's uh, it's essential that we talk about it, we share the information, and we consider all sides, especially if we're going to affect our lives in the way we're affecting them. Look at Texas. Please support the program. Go to patreon.com slash Joha. That's J-O-H-A-W. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Gregory Wrightstone will be with us to talk about his book, Inconvenient Facts, the Science that Al Gore Doesn't Want You to Know. Gregory is a geologist. He's also um, a senior fellow at the Cornwall Alliance and is an advisory board member of the Heartland Institute. He's a guest on many TV and radio shows, and among his qualifications, he's got an advanced degree in geology, and he was recently added as an expert reviewer for the Intergovernmental Panel on climate change. He's a strong proponent of the scientific process. Gregory, welcome back to Beyond Reality. It's great to have you here again. Oh, good to be back on it. And I'll have to say that I've actually just joined, uh, I'm leading a group called the CO2 Coalition out of Arlington, Virginia, as their executive director. Uh, We're a group of 60 of some of the top climate scientists in the world that uh, don't believe that the earth is is falling into this catastrophic uh consequences of man-made warming uh, some of these we have some of the top scientists including Richard Lindzen from MIT uh Will Happer from Princeton Pat Michaels uh world-renowned climatologist uh so we're it's it's really great uh, to be part of this group and and it's an awesome responsibility, actually, where we advance the scientific uh, basis of the fact that the Earth actually is benefiting from the modest warming and the increased uh, parts per million and concentration of CO2. I think, and your work is really, really important, uh, and I want to get into some of the details of what you just said in a moment, but right now we are seeing a, a, a seismic shift in policy coming from Washington, D.C., as it relates to this particular issue. In fact, to the point where uh, President Biden recently signed an executive order, among the many that he signed, that essentially says that climate change will be a cornerstone in all public policy decisions, whether they're foreign affairs decisions, whether they're domestic decisions, regardless of what it is, climate uh, change will be a factor in how they make those decisions. So he, at this point, it couldn't be more consequential to understand what's going on. Um, we are in very different times than we were just a year ago. Oh, boy, it is. It was, you know, whenever Joe Biden was running for, for the presidential election, I, you and me and other people, he, we heard him saying and mouthing these words that he, what he was going to do about climate and it was, I got to tell you, I, I, I heard it, but I couldn't believe that he would actually do what he was proposing. 
because it would be so harmful to the United States and our economic system. And on the first day, he started imposing these things with executive orders. Uh, these are these are really impactful and harmful uh, things that he's imposing on the United States. These are things that are that will will, will be consequential for us for decades to come, uh, and not in a good way. This uh, we see on the first day he he uh, rejected the the permit for the XL pipeline, which would bring eight hundred and thirty thousand barrels a day of uh, oil down from Canada from the uh, Alberta tar sands project into the United States, and, and let's. Let's be sure he did it because he said he was he wanted to prevent that oil being uh, used in the United States. Well, it's going to come here anyhow. It's just going to come on rail. It was going to come through pipeline, which is much more efficient and is the safest form of transportation and cleaner. And cleaner. It was going to be. It was going to be uh, a net zero. Uh, carbon transportation system, and uh, let's not be mistaken. I'm I'm okay with increasing CO2. Okay, I've got a bumper sticker on the back of my <laughs> SUV that says "I heart CO2." I'm uh, I'm a really really big proponent of the many benefits of CO2, and your a lot of your listeners probably have never heard that before, but uh, we can talk about that in a little bit. Uh, but but he wanted to do this to stop CO two emissions, and it, it, it's going to those those CO two emissions are going to occur no matter what yeah. if it's brought by rail or by by pipeline. But pipeline is the safest form of transportation. Um, rail is a pretty safe method, but it's not nearly as safe as as it is through the pipeline. Um, and again, the the, the rail will increase CO2 emissions if you're one of those people that dislike CO2. Uh, it would increase that. Uh, and he also, uh, on day two, he, he said he imposed uh, a prohibition on, on uh, leasing and permits for federal lands. And just bear, bear in mind that 10% of our oil that's produced in the United States comes from the Gulf of Mexico, which is 100% federal lands. Uh, the states of Colorado, New Mexico, and Wyoming uh, are, are likely, if this, if this ban continues, they're likely to lose somewhere around 120,000 or more jobs uh, because of this ban. Uh, and it's just going to drive the benefits. The good news is America, because of fracking and horizontal drilling and the new techniques we're using to identify these resources, America's awash in oil and natural gas. We're, we're just so what he's done to limit this may not actually be realized for years in the future. It could be two years down the road, three years, whatever it is. Uh, those those negative impacts will eventually be affected and lead to the the rise of, of energy prices across the board for the United States. But before we get there, what we're going to see is that the United States and under the 
the Biden administration's plans and the Green New Deal, their objective, and it won't be just by, by regulation and doing the things he's done right now, it'll be by increasing carbon taxation and other, other uh, means of imposing uh, burdens on, on fossil fuels. Their intention is to increase energy prices from everything from fossil fuels, from coal, oil, and natural gas. Yeah, somebody asked the- me. Somebody asked me the other day about uh, you know you go to the gas pump and gas is up like 35 percent in price just in the last couple months. Um, I know the cost to heat a home with fuel oil is significantly higher than it was um, because I heat my home with fuel oil. Um, but somebody asked me about those prices, and I said I think it's intentional. I think this is an is an not that they intended necessarily to raise the price, but they intended to have prices go up because it makes alternative fuels uh, look more attractive at that point. Yeah, this is this is this is the goal. This is what they want to do. This is what. Their goal is is to increase uh, the cost of gasoline, diesel, and any electricity that's generated by coal or natural gas. They want to do that. They, they that is their stated goal. They don't. Well, they don't. They don't say it out loud. They don't say, "Well, we're going to increase tax. We're going to increase energy for everybody." But that that's that's what they want to do. That is their goal is to increase. Uh, fossil fuel-powered energy, uh, whether it's liquids with gasoline and diesel or is it with electricity from coal and natural gas. They they want to increase significantly, and it might be fourfold or fivefold, uh, wow. what it is today, wow. uh, to, to, to everyone that's listening tonight. And the reason they want to do this, they want to drive people to those non-fossil fuel-fired energy sources. Let me read you. They, a, let me read you a headline here that just crossed um, most networks uh, within the last few hours. The headline is: Texas electric grid operator says frozen wind turbines are hampering state's power output. There are people freezing in Texas right now because they they can't get power to heat their homes. Texas made a conscious decision to try to implement some of these green energy ideas, one of them being um, massive wind farms, uh, wind electricity generation farms in the western part of the state. And I think the figure is like 25% of their electricity comes from these wind farms. And now these wind turbines are frozen solid, stiff, they can't move, and people can't get power. And this is a life-threatening situation. It's it's not just life-threatening, but it's it really impacts, uh, you know, what, what what they're going to be paying, actually. Mm-hmm. But, yes, there, there are people right now that are in their cars and their SUVs and their trucks in Texas staying warm because they can't, they can't heat their homes. And the, the, the cost this morning uh, peaked at $9,000 per kilowatt hour. Now, bear in mind that $100 is normally thought to be pretty high. Nine thousand dollars per kilowatt hour this morning. It just peaked, wow. and be, and and it was. What we have here is, uh, you're right. About twenty five percent of their of their system was was due to was reliant at times on wind energy. Now, bear in mind too, they have a large solar component. And what's interesting about this, it's 
it's not interesting. It's frightening. Solar in in most across most of North America and the United States goes to close to zero during the winter months because for a number of reasons, uh, it's much shorter hours of operation that the wind that the sun can hit. And it's also that the, the sun is much lower in the horizon, so it has to go through all that atmosphere, so it's become less effective. And in one of the one of the uh, articles I'm looking at here, uh, they're they're peddling as quick as they can to try and say, well, it's it was it's not solar, it's not wind, it's not the renewables that are leading blackouts in Texas. It's actually this this article I'm reading right now is they they're saying, well, we had a major component of uh, our other. Uh, components of natural gas that have been declining. Well, yes, I, I came from the natural gas business, and and when it does get cold, sometimes things freeze up. I, I just looked at the at the natural gas uh, component for the Texas Energy Grid. It's actually increased significantly. Uh, yes, some of, some of it stopped, but for the most part, uh, the natural gas component that's providing Natural gas to to create electricity has increased significantly, uh, and they one of the things this is a great quote they have, but some of our energy sources that power the grid during the summer are offline during the winter. They don't mention what those are, do they? <laughs> no, they don't. Why don't they? Because they don't want that. They don't want you to know that solar goes close to zero during the winter. And that's exactly what they were just saying. They just didn't mention that it was solar. Um, uh, so we've got this, this solar, the solar, the wind component is down. Uh, people are are uh, huttering, uh, hovering over their 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 stoves if they have some uh, in in Texas. And right now, this is, they're they're having negative wind chill uh, below zero uh, wind chill. Jeez. Temperatures in Texas. We're used it's to bad. Yeah, we're used to that up here in upstate New York, but certainly they're not used to it in Texas. I have to tell you, share a little story here because this illustrates how we tend to forget history. I haven't forgotten this, but there are a lot of people that weren't uh, alive that listened to this program or are making even making policy decisions at this point that did not live through the 1970s. I was a little kid in the mid 70s, and my parents bought a house to renovate. Um, it wasn't. It was a very modest home, and they uh, they had to do the work themselves, and they did. And at the time, we were going through the embargo, the Arab oil embargo, and the United States was woefully undersupplied of oil and gasoline and all petroleum products. So my parents made the decision at the time to put in electric baseboard heat into this home they were renovating. They did that, and shortly, and because that's what everybody was told to do, that's what that's kind of what the thing was. And uh, shortly after that, they found that the price of electricity went up so high they couldn't heat the house. And you know, it's it's it just demonstrates that when you ignore uh, the realities of supply and demand um, that you can get bitten in the butt. And that's what happened to my family. And it was a very painful process. Yeah, it was. And you were, you're right. The late seventies, we yep. went through a, a painfully cold period. Uh, we, we'd gone through a cooling period from, oh, the mid forties until the late seventies, about 30 years of cooling. 
Uh, And it's interesting. We're told that carbon dioxide, CO2, is driving uh, catastrophic levels of warming. That We've never seen warming like this in in (laughs) thousands of years, and it's due to our, our man's increase of CO2. Yet, our increase in CO2 really started, the big boom of it, started in the post-World War II era, and just after that, uh, after this boom and the increase in CO2 uh, in the the mid-20th century, we saw as it was warm, as we were increasing CO2, temperatures started dropping and dropping significantly. Well, it was completely opposite of what we're being told, isn't it? And we're we're increasing CO two, temperatures dropping, and we saw that uh, there were a lot of stories in the in the late in the seventies, late nineteen seventies, uh, of us going into the next uh, ice age. Uh, but yet, but yet again, CO two was increasing. Now, thankfully, uh, we we got out of that cooling trend and we started warming again. And I say thankfully because. Uh, I'm a big proponent of the benefits of, of modest warming and increasing CO2. Both of those two things are combined are leading uh, to beneficial effects of, of uh, the Earth's ecosystems and humanity, and we, we need to, to, to celebrate that. We can look back through uh, Earth's history and human history to find that other warming periods over the last five or 6,000 years each of the last three warming periods that were warmer than we are today uh, showed that the uh, civilization uh, benefited, humanity benefited, Earth's ecosystems benefited, and it was the it was the cooling periods between each one of those that were horrific that led to uh, crop loss, famine, uh, and pestilence and, and mass depopulation just completely opposite of what we're being told today if you if you took uh created a graph of earth's temperatures and you started with the ice age ten thousand years ago plotted a point and then you uh plotted today's uh temperature you'd see a constant you know it'd be an up it'd be up because obviously the ice age was much cooler than it is now um but the truth is that Earth's temperature has fluctuated since Earth was uh, created, however that was. Um, up, down, uh, up and down. And we are by no means in an extreme, from what I understand, in any either way. Oh, not at all. We're, uh, and I, I, I don't like, I, I like particularly, particularly to use uh, the 10,000 years since the last ice age, because uh, that's, that's, that's a better correlation to what we're in right now mm-hmm. because actually our temperatures over the last 10,000 years and what we're in right now are actually some of the lowest in Earth's history over the last uh, oh, let's say six or eight hundred billion years of Earth's history. We're, we're actually in very, very low temperatures and, and when we talk about carbon dioxide, our carbon dioxide levels are, are extremely low compared to Earth's history. And we're, we're a little over 400 uh, parts per million of, of carbon dioxide. Over uh, Earth's history, we've seen that it's averaged 2,600 parts per million. That's six and a half times what we are today. Right. So we're actually, we're actually CO2 impoverished. We don't, have, 
we don't have too low of levels of CO2. We're actually um, in some of the lowest levels of, of carbon dioxide. Let's get into what that means uh, here just a second, but I, I want to point out one more thing. Um, again, we opened this program talking about some major policy initiatives that the Biden administration is taking that will affect us. It'll affect our wallets. It'll affect our way of life. It'll te- affect jobs. Uh, it'll affect our relationships with nations around the world. That is happening. That is the price we're paying. You may say it's worth that the, the results are worth the price, or you may say they're not worth the price. But let's understand what the price is. Now let's talk about uh, what we're trying to accomplish here. Um, the The culprit, according to these folks is is co2 explain to us what their position is about co2 yeah they're uh co2 to them is the demon molecule it's the demon molecule that's driving uh unusual and unprecedented warming because it's a greenhouse gas and it's increasing significantly uh i view it as as the miracle molecule it's the molecule that's uh, uh, causing life to thrive on the earth. What we're seeing, uh, because of the modest warming, and, and we're in a warming trend, there, there's no doubt. Starting, no starting when, that. Greg? When did the warming trend start? Well, we can actually date it back to the, early, to the late 17th century. Actually, the year 1695 was the coldest part of what was called the Little Ice Age. Uh, this was a horrific period. Again, you heard me talk about how the cooling periods were really, really, really bad. The Little Ice Age that started in around 1250 A.D., uh, it, it peaked in, in its coldness in the late 17th century, around 16, the late 1600s. Uh, it, it was horrific. Uh, we saw... Crop failure, famine, pestilence, and mass depopulation. Uh, a third of the population, of at least of the Northern Hemisphere, perished during that time. Half the population of Iceland perished. And, and of course, everyone knows about the, the story of the Vikings, who, who, who's, whose demise is well noted from Greenland. Um, they just disappeared. We don't really know what happened, but it, it got cold, and they... Uh, we never heard it, heard from them again, um, and so these uh, this warming period that we're in started over 300 years ago, long before we started adding man-made CO2 to the atmosphere. It was a naturally driven occurrence. It and and it was thankfully and blessedly uh, an event that occurred, and, and we we're benefiting from it to this day by every metric we look at, and that's the big that's the big takeaway from my first book, which is inconvenient facts. And I'll I'll just just kind of do a a, a fist pump in the air right now because we're uh, the book inconvenient facts was. Uh, uh, just recently back as number one bestseller in a couple of categories last week. Oh, congratulations. Uh, That's great. Yeah, it was, it was, it's incredible. A book that's published uh, two years ago. Is that because uh, of what's happening? Is that because of these policies and people are trying to understand if this is necessary? It is. Um, I, I wrote the book. 
we're going a little bit. Uh, but I wrote the book. I didn't set out to write a best-selling book on climate change. <laughs> I set out to seek the truth. Right. I I knew as a geologist, some of the things we were being told about climate change were just incorrect. I just and I suspected other things were, and so this search for the truth led to the writing of this book. I said, oh, my God, look, just one thing after another that I found that they were, we were being told, well, this is a fact. And I looked into it, and it was like, no, it's not a fact. It, the science, the facts, and the data tell us no. And, you know, forest fires, hurricanes, tornadoes, what it, just one thing after another, what we're being told by these supposed scientists and experts were just wrong, and it was my it, it's it's really I've I've adapted this as my mission to tell to tell the accurate facts about this, and it's 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 it, it saddens me that we have this great scientific malfeasance that's going on. Greg, are they are they incompetent? Or are they intentionally no, lying? No. Which, or are they misinterpreting data? What, what, what of the three? It's got to be one of those three things. One of them. Or it's it. Yeah, what you're asking me is why are they lying to us? Okay, right. So that's so what you're asking. Are you saying and, there? Are you suggesting that they know that they're being? Manipulating data or being inaccurate? Uh, I, I know, I'm trying to. I'm, I don't want to put you into a corner here. Um, yeah. Okay. I'll tell you this. I, I'm asked this a lot. Okay. And I and I and I put this back on the people that ask me. I, as a scientist, I can tell you that this is what they're saying. This is what the science tells us, and this is why they're lying. I can tell you they're lying. Okay. I can't look into the heart or the soul of a man or a woman and say why they're doing it. I can. You're, you are just as, as qualified as I am. All right, I'm a scientist. I can tell you why they're lying mm-hmm. and that they are lying. Mm-hmm. But you and every single, everybody from, that's listening right now, some, you know, Sam in Poughkeepsie, New York, <laughs> or, or, or uh, you know, Sam or Frank and in Houston, Texas, is listening, they're just as qualified as I am to tell me why they're lying. There might be, what is it? What, what, are the, what, what is it? Why are they lying? Right. Is it funding? Is it, is it uh, uh, an agenda that they have? Is it anti-capitalism? I don't know. We can come up with lots of things, and, and I think there are different reasons why, why it's being done. And, and and it's uh, each one of your listeners could probably come up with another three things right. that that could that could tell us why they're doing it. And I don't know. It's but I can tell you that I I can point out the facts that says this is what they're saying and this is why they're wrong. And that's what I want to do. That's my mission. Are they is, are they lying about? Um... I guess there's so many, so many layers of this. Are they lying about the cause and effect? Are they lying lying about what potential remedies are? Are they lying? I, well, I let's, just, let's just look at let's let's look at one one thing. Let's look at um, mass extinctions. Okay. All right. There was a, a UN report in late 2019 that came out uh, that that 
that they said that there would be one million extinctions of species over the next several decades. All right, and and that we needed that we were, it was it was horrible, and we needed to uh, and it was due to climate change. And the main the main reason for these extinctions were habitat loss. Uh, okay, so I I took a look at it. I went back and I said, wait a minute, my, my BS detector started going off. And I said, whoa, whoa. And I went back and looked at the exact same data that they looked at. It was called the uh, IUCN Red List. You can, you, your listeners can, can Google Red List and go look for the same thing. I looked at the exact same data that they did. And, and they looked at it at century by century. In other words, 100-year data sets. Uh, to see this chart that looked like it was, oh, my God, it was just going, it was horrible that extinctions were just skyrocketing. Well, I went back and I looked at, at the same data set by decade by decade, decadal, and and I found that, that actually extinctions peaked in the late 1800s and early 1900s and have been in significant decline ever since. And... Uh, now, to get to one million extinctions, and again, this is just one one example that I'm going to give you, um, that extinctions, they, they said, would, would uh, be one million extinctions uh, over the next several decades. To get to that, we need 25,000 to 30,000 extinctions per year. You know what they've been for the last 40 years? Two. <laughs> Not 2,000. Not two hundred, two, two extinctions per year. All right, and this this report concluded that we would have twenty five thousand to thirty thousand. Oh well, we'll get there pretty quick. No, we won't. And it's it's this this crap. It's this it's it's it, what they did was manipulate the statistics to make mm-hmm. it look horrible. Mm-hmm. And and so we've had two. Extinctions per year over the last 40 years. What their conclusion should have been is that the world as a, as a whole is doing a really, 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 really good job protecting our endangered species. And instead, they came to exactly the opposite conclusion. They They said, oh, things are... We're, we're looking at the, the sixth uh, mass extinction. No, we're not. No, we're not. And we're not anywhere near it. And we're doing really good. So they're lying and, about the consequences of all of this. Um, they're talking about uh, apocalyptic scenarios, whether it's extinctions or sea level rise or major storm frequency or, as you pointed out before, fires, wildfires. Um these are these are cases of manipulated data to try to try to scare people. I know you said you couldn't yeah. you couldn't yes. you couldn't really look yes. at motivations, but you know what the heck? What why why? Well, if you just look at the at the last national climate assessment, the fourth AR AR four is is their their big thing they pointed at was was forest fires right. and how they're increasing right. and their big their their chart that they included was. Uh, Area burned, uh, and and it was they showed this skyrocketing uh, number of 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 area burned in the in the lower forty eight. Well, but they only showed the last 
50 years, and it was greatly escalated. Well, if you look at the entire data set, they cherry-picked it. If you look at the whole data set going back to the early 1900s, you'll see that actually the area burned in the United States is, is about 20 or 25 percent of what it was 80 or 100 years ago. We we're actually have significantly less area burned in the United States today than we did then. And that the area burned in the United States and the number of fires is, is mostly due not to climate change, but, but to our forest management practices. The Sierra Nevada Conservancy tells us we've got four to five times too many trees per acre uh, in the Sierra Nevadas. And what does that mean? That's more fuel per acre. And that's also the second uh, significant uh, soil moisture loss after evaporation is is the amount of water that's sucked out of the uh, out of the soil from from trees and, and, and vegetation. So if you have four to five times too many trees, it's more fuel, and the, each tree is is competing for the other trees for the same scarce soil moisture. So it's aggravating the the arid conditions. Uh, if you look at back pictures of the of the early settlers in the 1800s, uh, you had large grasslands separated by stands of trees, and and these trees. If you look at these early pictures, the the, the limbs on the trees, the first limbs were maybe 20 feet, 30 feet off the ground because they had these regular uh, wildfires that would every year would go through. And it was it was a it was a grassland fire, so it was low intensity. Uh, now we have high intensity fires that destroy timber and destroy forests. It's it's a forest management prod problem uh, in the West, not a not a climate change issue. Our guest tonight is Gregory Wrightstone. He's a geologist. His book is called Inconvenient Facts: The Signs That Al Gore Doesn't Want You to Know. I imagine you're probably considering changing that to uh, John Kerry. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, he's he's. Uh, he, he's uh, he's uh, he's, a, he's a, an interesting soul. He he just uh, uh, announced he, he defended his his flight to yeah. uh, 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 accept an award. He he flew in a private jet to accept the climate change award, uh, <laughs> and he said, "Well, you know, somebody like me, we too you know, He said, yeah. "He's too important, yeah. right?" Right, I'm I'm important enough that I have to use a private jet to go there, but no, but you can't do that. You know, if you do that, you're you're a bad person. Meanwhile, that one flight probably put more carbon into the atmosphere than you know somebody heating their home for a year. You know, yeah, but you know what? I'm okay with that. If you look in the back of my truck, I've got a bumper sticker that says "I Heart CO2." I just ordered a bunch of masks, actually, that are "I Heart CO2" masks and some new. My new iHeart. I just sold out of my iHeart CO2 T-shirts, but uh, I'm I'm a huge proponent of the many benefits of. I'm okay again, with it. I'm okay with it uh, too, Greg. But it's it's the hypocrisy that makes it so hard to swallow. Oh yeah, yeah, and they're they're blatant about it. They're they don't yeah. They're, so it, let's let's address this CO2 issue because it's as you said they make the climate change uh, activists. John Kerry and others, 
um, call it or claim it to be the demon molecule, saying it's the root of all of these evils. Um, but you're saying actually just the opposite. CO2 has Absolutely. a very beneficial effect. Yep. Let's talk about that point of view for a minute. What's the beneficial effect of CO2 in the atmosphere? Oh, my. It's, it's, it's a, it's, when we say it's plant food, it really is. It, it benefits. Uh, there, there's a reason. I just looked this morning. They're they're talking about in Colorado. These they're teaming up uh, breweries uh, that uh, the breweries generate CO2. So they're they're all aghast. Oh my God, <laughs> we're brewing beer and it's it's harming the the climate because we're adding CO2. So what they're doing is pumping their CO2 directly from their breweries into marijuana greenhouses that are next door uh, to benefit. And and most, a lot of greenhouses, they have CO2 generation systems. They they have tanks of CO2 that they use, and it benefits the growth of the plants in their in their greenhouses. We're seeing this worldwide, if your listeners... Uh, want to Google two words, just Google NASA and greening, NASA and greening, and you'll find out the many benefits that CO2 increases have had on the Earth's surface. According to NASA, up to 50% of the Earth's surface is what they call greening. In other words, vegetation's increasing. Less than 4% of the Earth's surface is what they call browning or, or loss of vegetation. That's a really, really, really good trade-off. I'll take that any day of the week. Uh, the, the Earth's uh, we're, we're seeing because of CO2 increases and an increase, modest increase in temperature, we're seeing actually a decrease in the area of deserts. Deserts are shrinking, not expanding. Uh, we're seeing the dry areas uh, becoming uh, populated with grasslands. We see things. Like, probably the best example is the the southern Sahara, the Sahel. It's called the Sahel. Uh, is is turning into a lush grassland. It was a it was a, a desert, arid dre- desert. Uh, no one's lived there for hundreds maybe a thousand years, people are moving back in there and planting uh, uh, crops in this area. That's a good thing. We're seeing it in China, India, and Australia, this greening of the earth. And, And I call it the biggest untold story of the late 20th and early 21st century is this greening of the earth and the prospering of the earth. And it's because of a combination of Warming temperatures and increased CO two. It's it's just opposite of what we're being told, and nobody's telling us this. You've not heard this. Your listeners haven't heard this. Right, right. that's right. Um, I just want to ask. You, you mentioned a couple times modest increase in temperatures. What are those increases? What are we seeing uh, as an increase? I, I've seen something like a half a degree Celsius. Well, we over the last one hundred or so. It's it's been on the order of eight tenths or one degree Celsius, which is maybe a degree and a half uh, over the last since the beginning of the twentieth century. Which is, uh, it doesn't sound like a lot, but but in the big scheme of things, it, these things mean a lot because 
these these changes of temperature uh, can can lead to increases or decreases in uh, glaciation advances or or retreats of glaciers uh, increase of of, of of sea level and we are sea level is increasing slowly uh, it's been about uh, eight inches or so or nine inches in the last 100 years, uh, which is barely imperceptible uh, when you look at, at, at the sea level. Um, so there's, there's, uh, um, the, 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 this is, uh, this is, this is something well on the need to take into account. So what's, if, if, if that is happening, if that is indeed what we're seeing is a, a modest increase in temperatures, what is causing it? Is it man-made CO2, A, and B, if it's beneficial, which you've make a, you make a very good case that it is at this point, at what point does it become too much, and is, are we headed there? That seems to be what the, what the uh, other side is saying. Well, I'm, I'm in the middle of my second book, and right now I'm, I'm deep into the I, I, I'm deep into the exploration of the, of the of the relationship between temperature and humanity, and and we see there's a strong correlation between the rise and fall of temperature and the rise and fall of civilization, uh, and, and it's just opposite of what we're being told. We're we're being told that oh, if it gets warmer by a degree and a half or two degrees, uh, we're gonna have, we're gonna have famine and death and pestilence and mass depopulation. But looking back through human history and geologic history over the last five or six thousand years, uh, I find that uh, the just the opposite of what we're being told. Each one of those warming periods have been hugely beneficial to humanity. Um, we see the first, the very first uh, five six thousand years ago when when the first great civilizations rose up, the Babylonians, the Hittites, the the, the Mycenaean culture around the Med- Mediterranean and the Haddocks ha- in the uh, India and the Chinese, all these great civilizations rose up during this warming period that was probably two to four degrees centigrade warmer than what we are today. Each one of those huge, they, they thrived, and then it started getting cold, and it was called the the late Bronze Age collapse within about a hundred years. The, the the cold descended on the earth, and every one of those civilizations just just collapsed. It was societal collapse, and it was due to the cold. And we see that time and time again. We saw it during the Roman Warm Period, the time of Christ. Great civilizations rose up again, and when it started getting cold, those civilizations collapsed. And isn't that different? Isn't that exactly opposite of what we're being told today? It's exactly opposite. It is. Exactly. It, is that mostly because of agri- agricultural uh, challenges yes. when the temperature yes. drops? Yes, it was famine. If you were if you were emperor in one of the warming periods, you would be well loved. You could feed your subjects, and I think you'd be a pretty good. I think you'd be a pretty good emperor, by the way. <laughs> but but um, but if you were because you could feed your subjects, and that's really what they. And, and when they were fat and happy, um, your people and your subjects would have time to to dream, to sculpt, to invent, uh, to to create. Right. Uh, you don't have to worry about how you're going to feed your family tomorrow or next year. Uh, 
if you were emperor in a when it started getting cold and crops started failing, you couldn't feed your subjects. That's when they'd be coming after you with the with the pitchforks, and when that's what we saw time and time again. And and it was the cooling periods. It, it's funny we talk about droughts being very significant. What we saw in a lot of these periods were actually um, when it started getting cold, we had a lot of precipitation that was ill-timed. In other words, uh, they just it rained and rained and rained, and they couldn't plant the crops. Mm-hmm. They couldn't harvest them. They rotted in the fields, and this went on year after year after year. Uh, the, these cooling periods, uh, so... So it was easier, actually, to adapt to droughts, it appears, than it was to these, these ill-timed uh, precipitation events. Uh, hey, these were, hunter, for the most part, these people were, they could survive maybe one bad year, but not two. Uh, we're going to see the same problems coming up in the future in the next cold period we get. Now, I'm not saying we're going to go into another ice age. We don't have to. But it, these other cold, cooling periods, um, we we won't be affected as bad as the other as the other civilizations in the past. Uh, you know, we're not moving food around with ox carts anymore, and we have refrigeration. But it's still going to be bad. It's still going to be bad. We can't we can't prevent crop loss what's the primary driver of these cycles is it this is it sun the sun activity is it something in the atmosphere is it co2 itself uh, co2 is a minor driver of temperature uh, in in my opinion and that of the the co2 coalition we believe that that yes co2 has a modest warming effect uh, on the atmosphere but the main drivers are those same natural forces that have been driving it since the dawn of time. Um, uh, I'm not sure what we can do. So we're talking about things like the sun. We're talking sun. about uh, volcanic Absolutely. activity, too, Absolutely. right? Doesn't volcanic activity on the Earth, if we have a particularly active volcanic cycle, that'll put some debris uh, into the air and cut yeah, block that's, out some that's one of the That's one of the big... If, People that talk about this, uh, volcanoes really, yes, really, really, really big volcanoes can have a, a, a cooling effect on the on the earth. And, and that's, we've seen that's that. quick. That's, right? that's quick, and it lasts for a couple of years, and then it yes. kind of goes away. Yes, yeah. yes. Um, there, there are other people. There, there, there's just bad information out there about how. Uh, Volcanoes are, are the main driver of CO2. That's just false. That's uh, volcanoes provide a very, very insignificant. Well, not insignificant, but maybe five percent of 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 CO2 in the atmosphere of what we see today. Most of the most of the CO2 increase we've seen over the last uh, 100 years has been from burning of fossil fuels, and I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that because I, I like CO2. I think it's beneficial. And, and your, your listeners should also be okay with increasing CO2 because we're actually um, CO2 impoverished compared to most of Earth's history. We're, we're at some of the lowest CO2 levels 
ever in all of Earth's history. And it's, it's a, we, we nearly got, at the end of the last Ice Age, uh, we got to 182, 180 parts per million of CO2, uh, which was a dangerously low level. And why was it dangerous? Because at 150 parts per million, that's what I call the line of death. That's the, that's the minimum threshold for plant life to survive on this earth. But we nearly got there. Now, if we got there, that would have been a true climate, planetary apocalypse if we got below that. We nearly got there. Uh, and it's because uh, Earth has been naturally sequestering CO2 in its, in its sediments. Uh, as, we're, as limestone is created with, with coral reefs and whatever, they're, they're incorporating CO2 in the, in the, in the rocks. Uh, we're liberating that naturally sequestered CO2 now by, by uh, burning fossil fuels. And that's, that's a good thing. One of the things that we've learned over the past year, Greg, um, we've watched governments respond to the COVID pandemic in a way that probably two years ago we would, would have said would, was impossible. Lockdowns, shutdowns, restrictions, regulations, they continue almost a year along here. And one of the things that scared me right away, first of all, I'm, you know, I'm one of these uh, people that gets concerned when the government oversteps and overreaches. Um, but I got even more concerned when I started hearing this mantra of, you know, we have to respect the science. But I recognized very early on there were many differing opinions from the scientific community about many of these issues. But I saw this as a way that this would ultimately lead to restrictions because of climate change. Do you fear any of that oh yeah <laughs> you're very perceptive this is what we're leading to there this is just an entree what we've seen with this with yeah. the covid restrictions yeah uh they're they're leading now into uh climate change restrictions that could be very very similar uh economically destructive it's uh what we want to do, we need to get this science, the science that disputes this out to the general public. And, and that's, that's our mission. Uh, I'm the executive director of the CO2 Coalition. I just took over. Uh, you, could, you could learn more about what we have to say about CO2 at CO2Coalition.org. Um, and, and it's our mission to provide this this information about about CO two and its ben, many benefits, uh, and we're, we're trying to dispel this all, all this uh, nonsense that we're hearing about climate change. Well, you're seeing you're seeing what I what I saw happening was they floated these restrictions, they floated these ideas, they claimed it was you know we had to listen to the science, we've got to follow the science, and there was no pushback, no meaningful pushback, and they just got more. Uh, brazen and more emboldened by that. Um, and I really felt as though the next thing to come along because of the quote unquote science is going to be these restrictions based on climate change. You know, you're going to, they're going to have, uh, you know, you won't be able to turn your thermostat up past 68 degrees in the winter and, you know, uh, 74 uh, for air conditioning or whatever it is. And they're going to say the science says we have to do this. And, um, 
you know, just as in as it was back then, there were scientists that disagreed. But now the president has created or reestablished this presidential commission on scientific whatever. I don't even know what the name of it is. I've got it written down here somewhere where he has going to have advisors, uh, you know, kind of outlining these policies. Are these scientists going to be from the spectrum of scientific opinion or are they going to be of all one mind? Oh, they'll be. I, I, I actually hadn't even seen that, and I'm going to have to look into that. But yeah, they'll be all. Oh, don't worry, they'll be all of one mind. Uh, you've got to get your mind right if you're going to be part of that group. Yeah, it's called uh, the President's uh, Council of Advisors on Science and Technology. Yeah, I'm going to have to look at that. No, I'm not. You're you're informing me of that, so I'm going to have to look into that. I've not heard of that. It's that's scary. Um, We've we we've seen that people I know that I'm close with uh, have been have been shunted out of academia. They've been they've been excluded. Uh, I've, I just talked to a professor, well known professor that was in the Trump administration. That's just we we talked the other day. He's just so disheartened. He says I'm getting out of this. I'm 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 resigning. Uh, I can't take it anymore. They're they're forced. Well, part of it was they were forcing him into this indoctrination campaign of. It wasn't about climate, but it was about gender studies. Oh, geez, and, yeah. and, mm-hmm. and just uh, just everything. And he says, "I can't take it. I'm getting out." Um, so yes, there, they, they, there will be no one accepted in those uh, that that has anything. Uh, to say that that disputes this notion of man-made catastrophic warming. One other thing that is a big red warning light um, that we've seen over the last year. Again, this 2020 was quite a learning experience for a lot of reasons. Um, But we found that anyone who had any kind of uh, opinion that may have varied from the official line coming from um, governmental organizations, whether it was the World Health Organization or it was the CDC or, um, you know, National Institute of Health, whatever it was. If you dissented, if you disagreed, you were in many cases silenced. You were Either uh, your your posts or your comments would be taken offline in social media. Your YouTube channel would be shut down or demonetized or restricted in some shadow banned, I guess is the word. Um, or in, many, in in some cases, you would be fired from a media organization if you wrote an opinion that was dissenting in any way. Um, does that bother you? And has it happened to you, Greg? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. oh, 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 oh yes, it has. The uh, the CO two coalition uh, again. I'm the executive director. Just last year, we we were attacked uh, with six senators, including Elizabeth Warren and uh, oh, Sheldon Whitehouse. There, now there's that, a genius in. Well, in <laughs> I don't have a lot. Excuse of, me. I was I was I was being sarcastic about Elizabeth Warren. I I don't well, have a lot of respect for Elizabeth Warren. No, uh, neither do I. But but they wrote a letter to to Z- uh, Zuckerberg. Uh, yeah. uh, requesting that, not requesting, demanding that he take down our Facebook page. Uh, we also had another one uh, from uh, another demand to Zuckerberg for, for Facebook for uh, from uh, Stacey Abrams, oh, Tom Steyer, yeah. and 18 other uh, radical environmental groups demanding that they take down our Facebook page. Uh, uh, we, 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 and, and, and silence us. Uh, 
my own uh, Inconvenient Facts app. Uh, we I rolled it out. I've got a, a smartphone app for shows all 60 Inconvenient Facts. Now, you can't find it right now. Hopefully, it'll be back in a week. Uh, it's not anything nefarious, but but I rolled it out and announced it on at, on the um, at Glenn Beck show. Went down to Dallas, Texas. Glenn loves it. Uh, two days later, app, Apple removed it from the App Store, <laughs> uh, and because we we had after we had sixteen thousand downloads immediately uh, after our Glenn Beck interview, and Apple removed it. They said it, it lacked compelling content. Really? Wow. wow. Really? And it was, it, if you would look at the other iPhone apps on oh, I've climate seen plenty. change. I've seen plenty that, of apps that have no compelling content, but they're there. Right. But these other ones that were on climate change, they look like failed middle school science fair projects. And, and ours was a state-of-the-art one. And, and but it... it I talked to my friends at the uh, Heritage Foundation, and they they uh, promoted it on the Daily Signal the next day as the lead article. It was picked up as Dr- at Drudge as their lead article, uh, and it just led to a media. On you know, I was on uh, Laura Ingram that night, One American News. Just I mean, it was a huge, and the book got to. Uh, number one bestseller in umpteen categories, and and it was <laughs> it was the best thing that happened for <laughs> right. me for the book. Right. And my my, you'll be it's kind of funny. My my app developer said, Greg, I think I have an answer. I think I can get this back up. And I said, No, no, don't do that. <laughs> Whatever you do, <laughs> don't do it. We're going to ride this thing as long as we can. Uh, but but we ended up. His idea was that we would use. Now, the other thing they said was that, well, not only does it lack compelling content, it could be used as a web-based app. It doesn't include the uh, iPhone uh, capabilities. So he says, well, if we use something with the with the phone. So my daughter suggested we. So what we did was we incorporated. If you use the iPhone. To take a picture, we would put a banner at the bottom that says "I Heart CO2," and we submitted that, and they said, "Okay, you can go." So now you can take you can take a picture of your loved one and have at the bottom it says "I Heart CO2." So uh, it's that anyhow. That's it. It was that. That's my story, um, but uh, 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 banning uh, with uh, with Apple. Yeah, um, if they are so certain that what they say is true, it seems as though they would welcome the discussion and the debate, and they would engage in vigorous debate, not try to silence or bully or uh, you know protest or boycott or all the other things they do uh, to people who have an opinion that disagrees with them. If they are so confident that, what are they saying, nine years? We have nine years left yeah. or something like that? Yeah. If they are so confident yeah. that's true, it seems as though they would recognize that they would be uh, basically uh, uh, undefeatable in a debate. <laughs> but they don't want a debate. Why is that? Mm. Well, because they don't, they don't want our voices out there. I'm Yes, you're exactly right. They do not want, uh, they don't want people to hear what I have to say because I present common sense and I present 
a rational opinion that people go, oh, yeah, yeah, okay, that's good. Uh, I have had a few instances recently. Uh, I debated uh, an alarmist professor at at Cornell University in uh, Ithaca, New York. Uh, I've been in panel discussions. I I welcome that. We reach out. Uh, They don't want to debate because that gives us legitimacy, and they don't want to provide that. They don't want to provide legitimacy. Uh, when when, there, is, when there is a debate, Greg, when there is a debate, whether it's one that you're involved or one that you've observed, um, you know what what is what is their position on some of these arguments? I mean, when you present the real data and you res- present the real facts, it seems hard for them to be able to maintain their position. But do they, or they, they start name oh, yeah. calling? What well, happens? Those those that debate me do, but. Uh, for example, at Ithaca, at Cornell University, when I was there, um, I was ridiculed and people laughed at me when I first got up. Uh, and it was a, it was an official debate in the forensics class. There were close to two hundred students in the room. There were only there were only the students from the forensics class invited, so this wasn't a big publicized thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it was it was really interesting and and it was pretty clear that virtually everybody there uh was opposed to what i was saying there were you know some hardcore uh conservative students there of about there might have been 15 or 20 i don't know and, but it, we went through and there were people they went through at the end of the, at the end of the of the presentation they uh they a lot of people come up to me and they said I've never heard what you were saying and I was and what I did was at the end of the presentation I said um I was there with my brother and we had books I had 250 books and I I said everyone that wants a book I'm going to give you a free book and sign it uh, but the deal was if you're going to if you're going to accept this book you have to read it and it's it's my book, Inconvenient Facts, um, and we had we gave out I think we gave out eighty or eighty five books uh, from all those people, and these people and I had I had a great conversation with all those the students that came up that that were that were actually very complimentary in what they were saying to me, and they said you know I've never heard this you presented well and you know what you had to say had um, was a you know something we need to think about well we're out of time greg but you're doing fantastic work and and thank you for not only doing it but being brave enough to talk about it in this particular culture where you know you're attacked you're bullied you're you're banned and and uh, you can't even uh have an honest debate without uh you know having to watch your back anymore but uh, you're brave enough to do it for us so we appreciate it um if someone is listening to this and again we started the program talking about real significant policy decisions that are being made in Washington and at the state level and maybe even the local level uh based on this topic that are going to affect our pocketbooks and the way we live um so we need to pay attention to this so if Someone is listening right now that feels as though either they want more information, they want to, maybe they want to read about the other side, maybe they want to, you know, still haven't made their mind up, or they feel as though yes, this is something that um, that we're being 
you know, we're not being told the truth about and how can I get involved? Regardless of what it is, Greg, how can people become a little more active on this topic? Um, Well, you could go, uh, again, the uh, CO2Coalition.org would be a great place to start. Uh, We're, if you want to be involved, uh, we're, we're the tip of the spear in terms of science. We're a science-based organization. Or go to inconvenientfacts.xyz is my website for the book. Uh, but co2coalition.org, uh, we're, we're, we're striving hard uh, to provide this information to the public. And is there any reason for people to fear? Is there anything to be afraid of here? No, welcome. I, I, I say, uh, welcome the warmth. Fear the, fear the cold. I'm with you. I'm with you, Greg. Hey, this is the second time you've been on the show, and it was just as great this time as it was the first. So thank you so much for being here and walking us through much of this. And uh, keep in touch with us, because I want to I wanna hear more about your work as, you, as it continues. Thank you. Beyond Reality Paranormal is hosted by J.V. Johnson and produced by Orion Palmer and Slick Eddie Edwards. Like us on Facebook and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Please consider supporting the program either through your podcast platform, click on the link in the description, or on Patreon at Joha Productions. If you'd like to be a guest on Beyond Reality Paranormal or you have a recommendation for a guest, contact our producer, Slick Eddie Edwards. Eddie is spelled with a Y at slickeddieedwards at gmail.com.